All right, so in our classes so far, we've been working down from sort of a, a theoretical to a practical. So we started with the Bible's answer to the problem of suffering, and then we moved to some practical classes on fighting for faith, and then we touched on how our suffering can be a witness to the gospel. So this morning, for this first part of the class at least, we want to take some time to try to apply some of these things. Uh, and to do that, uh, I want to summarize our class into a framework, a four-part sort of framework. So when you're suffering, there are some questions that are bound to come up, um, some things that may be challenging for us, some things that maybe we haven't thought about. We, we wonder, why is this happening, is one common thing that you know, we think about. Um, we wonder how long God is going to allow this specific suffering to continue, right? So we sort of want out. And um, we can also get to a place where we're struggling to trust him in a specific area, especially when we're done with suffering. Um, all those questions tend to come up. What should I do? How do I answer this? How do I walk, walk through this? So we'll, we're going to look at a scenario, and as we look at this scenario and think through what we've been talking about, these are the four things that we want to keep in mind, the four questions that we'll try and answer. Uh, how does this suffering challenge my view of God, or in our scenario, Jim's view of God? Um, what am I tempted to trust in other than God? Um, how can I fight for faith? And how can I live in such a way that God is glorified in my life through the difficult time? So how's my view of God challenged? How am I tempted or what am I tempted to trust in um, other than God? How can I fight for faith? And how can I glorify God in a very hard and difficult time? So we'll revisit those questions again. But first, let's start with our scenario. So this is a scenario that Capitol Hill and this core seminar put together that I sort of changed a little bit. But here's the scenario that we're going to. So we're going to think through this scenario and then try to apply uh, those questions. And I'll ask them again and we'll talk through them a little bit. Okay, so here's the scenario. Uh, the main character in this scenario, his name is Jim. So Jim, is, uh, Jim, 20 years ago, during his second year in college at UCF, uh, he dropped out of school to help a friend to start a window manufacturing company. A few years later, God used a good friend to bring Jim uh, to faith in Christ. And a few years after that, Jim met Jane at church, and they got married, had three kids, settled into a life in a local church. Um, the window company that he helped start was a success, and so it's been Jim's only job ever since college. But it's been a really hard year for the company. Earlier this year, one of the company's five machinists hurt himself while he was working. Turns out that the company was partially at fault for what happened. So as court costs and liabilities added up, the business went under and Jim is suddenly without a job just as his kids are hitting the teenage years. So he's got no college degree, no real professional network, but he's got a mortgage to pay. He's got a family to provide for, of course, and he only has a little bit in his savings. So from Jim's perspective, things are not looking good, right? 
Now, let's think through how Jim can think about this suffering that he's going through and how we can encourage him, advise him, counsel him, instruct him. Right? So that's the scenario. Everybody got the scenario? Right? Jim? Okay. <clears throat> so the first question we want to think through is how could this suffering challenge Jim's view of who God is? Now you remember from one of the earlier classes, we talked about the difference between a professed theology, what we know about God, and our functional theology, how we apply what we know about God, and those assumptions that come into our minds about God. Now let's assume that Jim is thoroughly orthodox in his professed theology. What are some ways that he might be tempted to make bad assumptions about who God is in his practical theology? Let's think about that. What are some ways that Jim might be tempted to make bad assumptions about who God is as he's going through this suffering? So I open the floor. <clears throat> Mark. Maybe uh, a temptation would be that uh, God is not for him. Hmm. Yeah. Being yep. So um, I'm trying to think through all the promises and trying to like reverse those. Yeah. Basically. Right. So. Yeah. So Mark said that Jim's temptation can be to think that God is not for him or he's no longer for him. Maybe he was, but in this season, he's not. Right. So he uh, struggles with believing God's promises. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. Some other bad assumptions that he might have about God in this season of suffering for him. just thinking through um, it theologically in that way, um, thinking about the personal work of Christ and the implications of that for how Jim is thinking. Yep. I was just going to say, I, I would think the worst reaction would be to know and understand that God is sovereign, therefore know that this is from him, but then still turn in anger hmm. because you know that it's from him. Yeah. That would be the worst response. Yeah, that's another response that puts you in a I think sometimes even a more difficult place when you do recognize the sovereignty of God and because you know it comes from him, yeah, you start to, to question it. Like if this were, if God wasn't sovereign and this were just left to you know, humans only, um, you could say, okay, well, this boss or this guy or this situation happened because of this, this, and this. But when we know that God is sovereign and behind it, ultimately that can cause more questions. Yeah, that's a good point. 
So why is it, <clears throat> another question, and this isn't on your handout, by the way. This is um, just a scenario. Uh, the, again, the, the first part of the class would be working through this scenario. Um, why is it important for a Christian to be thoroughly convinced that all suffering is within the control of a sovereign God? And can you think of any examples from scripture of how God's sovereignty helps someone suffer well? I think one of the primary areas we go, or is connected to it in some way, is the sovereignty of God when we go through suffering. That's one of, I think, the main things that we struggle with. So how do you, how should we think about this? Are there some scriptures that you can think of to encourage Jim as he struggles with the sovereignty of God? Um, and why is it important for us to be thoroughly convinced that God is sovereign, even over suffering? So I okay, think Jim? that. Sorry, so I, one of my favorite scriptures has always been Proverbs three five. Always, and for years I've always quoted it. In fact, yeah. Uh, I just went through about a year and a half ago a situation where my job was being eliminated, hmm. and I was still having to work until that day. So yeah. But, and I went through a lot of what these, this scenario is going through, and yeah. one of the things that kept coming back to was trusting God, regardless of what right. I saw on the surface, right. and knowing that he's going to um, get me through it, and obviously he did. Right. While I was going through it, it was hard to see that, and the only thing I could lean on was that scripture. So... For me, that scripture prepared me for trusting in him, even if the job never came back yeah. or never got reinstated or I got switched to something else. Yeah, uh, that's good. Was tri tricky, but that's, you know, that was just one scripture. What is Proverbs 3 5? I trust the rule with all my heart, be not in your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. All right. You, you passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> Other scriptures that come to mind. Yeah, can you um, Well, the story in, in second grade, we go through a majority of the book of Genesis. Okay. And um, I love the story of Joseph, where, um, you know, he, ha he has that dream at the beginning, but then he goes through all the suffering and, and mm. sold into slavery and yeah. prison. And um, we don't know all that he was thinking or processing, but this is a human who imagined that there might have been times where he's supposed to happen that dream was that really for me or um, how's this going to come about and just seeing God's sovereign hand in all of it and right. how, um, at the end when he explains to his brothers I think it's something like what you intended for e you intended for evil but God intended for good yep. and um, I just love that story because I, I just so clearly see like you in that moment might have not seen it um, but reading that seeing God was sovereign over every single circumstance and how he used it for the good of him but also for his brothers too yep. they had food and for all the, the land of Egypt yep. and yeah. I love that story Yep. you meant this for evil but uh, I meant this for good Genesis 50 20 yep. it's another great passage to go to it would be a great way to place to go to encourage Jim as he's thinking through suffering he's thinking through suffering okay let's go to our next question again remembering our scenario and Mr. Jim, what um, might Jim be tempted to trust in other than God in that season of suffering? 
What might he be tempted to trust in other than God? He might be tempted to trust in his finances, money, or job, career. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. That's a definite, that's, that's going to be high up on the list, I think. He's tempted to entrust himself to his finances, um, job security. Not that that's a bad thing, uh, but entrusting himself to it can be and is, is a bad thing. Yeah. What else? What else might he be tempted to trust in? Or just drugs as an escape. Yeah. Yep. So he looked for an escape route. He could turn to drugs or any number of, of things. Right. So th- thinking about even class five, I think it was, when we talk through um, the escape, right, the, the, when, when we get into seasons of temptation, uh, we can look for or seasons of suffering. We can look for something that becomes an escape for us. Um, it could be drugs for some. It could be television for others. It could be any number of things that we go to to sort of um, blunt the reality of our suffering and blunt the reality of um, our, our sovereign God. And as we wrestle with our feelings and thoughts, we, we tend to go to these different places at times. Yep. What else? Other things that he might be tempted to trust in? Other than God. Yeah. Um, if you read the Psalms, you know, if you see the theme of God in the Psalms, uh, this happened to me, but I waited on the Lord. I'm yeah. Waiting, patiently. yeah. I'm praying, I'm getting up in the morning, uh, crying to the oh Lord for this and this and that, and I'm waiting, waiting upon the Lord. Waiting yeah. Upon the Lord. And, you know, that, that shows faith, uh, and that's what God wants us to have. But many times, you know, the central theme of, um, Temptation is to say, this happened to you God does, because God doesn't care for you. And um, because he doesn't care for you, uh, then you have to do something. You have to go and act upon. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so you cannot trust God. Yeah. That's what uh, the temptation basically is. You know, Adam and Eve, you know, you know, uh, basically the, uh, the serpent told uh, Eve, you know, no, it's not like God. It's just that God doesn't really care for you because he doesn't want you to be like him. Yeah. So, so, you know, so just wake up. So many times our temptation is to move ahead on our own strength and uh, go around that God doesn't want us to. But if we wait upon the Lord, then uh, it's coming, you know, his, we see his salvation uh, and we reflect faith, which is the way for us to please God is yeah. Yeah, and that I think that aspect of waiting is something that we don't often think about when we are going through suffering, right? So we want to, like you said, we want to find a way out. But you see this common theme throughout the Psalms, where there is this: "I waited for the Lord; I will wait upon the Lord." And so, as we are sitting under suffering, um, often it is that very well always in part at least it is that very process that the lord is using to produce fruit in us right to conform us more to the image of christ and so that simple waiting upon the lord causes us to cry out more um causes us to recognize our dependence upon the lord maybe more than in other seasons um suffering has a way of uh, kindling the christian in a unique way which is why the lord allows it 
that produces in us fruit um, and conforms us more to the image of Christ. And waiting is the hardest thing, um, I think, in seasons of suffering because you want out. <laughs> you want there, there has to be a, a, a door of escape from this suffering. And then it's easy to convince ourselves, well, the Lord put this door of escape here. And if, if it's sin, then you know the Lord hasn't put that door of escape there. That's not the route. Wait. <laughs> and we, we look for other doors. We reason ourselves through taking other doors and taking other ways out. And the Lord is often calling us to sit under suffering patiently, knowing that your Heavenly Father cares for you. And that does cultivate in the Christian fruit. So we have I was just going to piggyback on that and just say one of the things that we're tempted to trust in is our own self-righteousness. Hmm. And so when we, are, we think of our self-righteousness, we think that what is happening to us is unjust. Yeah. Um, but when we have a heavenly perspective of a sovereign God, the, answer, the question then is, why not me? Hmm. You know, how is this going to play out not only in uh, terms of my perseverance and my development, you know, becoming more Christ-like, but how is it going to also help the local body? Yeah, yeah. How is it going to help, you know, future generations that are gonna, I'm gonna be able to tell stories to? Yeah. Um, so, you know, so instead of just that, you know, instead of always like, why me, you know? Why not me? Yeah, yeah. You are not, um so, but, but beyond you deserving that, right. You think of God as unjust and unfair. Yeah. But if you think of God, you know, as just and fair, then you, you don't, you know. And then you just think of like Jonah. He's like, I knew you were a merciful God. Yeah. And he has a self-righteousness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, but, you know, God wants us to be humble and just, yep. you know, for some it's a way of suffering. Yep. Amen. Yes, it is hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, we, we talked about a few different things that, um, in class five, at least, on the idea of trusting in something other than God. We talked about the stiff upper lip, um, which we termed um, sort of this idea of just, well, why is the Lord, Lord doing this? I don't know why he's doing it. And we sort of um, sturdy ourselves against his sovereignty. We talked about escape, run into false gods. We talked about the idea that I deserve better than this, which is what Sabrina was just bringing out, uh, that God rewards the righteous in this life only. Um, we talked about fear because God can't help what's happening, right? We have that sense. <clears throat> we, we tend to forget in the midst of suffering that God is all powerful and all sovereign, right? So all these different things are temptations that um, come before us that we have to fight against. A verse I think about a lot um, concerning the sovereignty of God is Isaiah 45 verses 5 through 10, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, but it says this <clears throat> in verse 5 of Isaiah 45, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. So he's Bringing out again, uh, this is the same thing you see in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your might, soul, strength, right? So the same thing is being brought out here, but he's connecting it to something else. I am the Lord, uh, I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun 
and from the west, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Verse 7, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Right, so this scripture lays out the all-encompassing sovereignty of God. Light, darkness, well-being, calamity. So that means that when we walk into a season that's more difficult or that you're just dealing with extreme suffering, it doesn't give us a category to say, well, this isn't God or this is outside of God's control. The scripture actually pushes you more into the reality that this is God. I form light and create darkness, make well-being and create calamity. Right. So the scripture is not um, sort of circling the bush or holding punches here saying something very plain and very clear. Now, we can get into a conversation about the sovereignty of God and uh, Satan and his sin in the heavens and Adam and Eve and, the, you know, our garden, all, all those other things, good and well. Uh, but we have to have, as a lens through which we look through those things, Isaiah 45, verse 7. The Lord is sovereign, right? He's not complicit in sin. Of course, we know this. God is perfect in him is light there's there's no darkness at all um yet we know that god is sovereign over sin and even in those seasons of suffering he has called it my wife and i throw this term back and forth to one another that god micromanages our suffering you know you have a boss at work and they're just always over your shoulder you know are you doing this right are you doing that right what's this let me look at this report god is micromanaging our suffering He is intimately and actively involved. Every uh, curse that's said against you, every word spoken behind your back, every time someone reviles you, accuses you, the Lord is sovereign over that as well. And we see that most chiefly, most supremely in Christ. Right? Okay, back to our gym scenario. Uh, How can I fight for faith? How can we encourage Jim to fight for faith as he's dealing with this uh, particular season of suffering? So, again, open floor. How can we encourage Jim to fight for faith? Verses, thoughts, counsel. Suffering has a way, if you think of like a sponge that's uh, filled with water, suffering has a way of squeezing out of those verses a lot more than you're used to seeing. Because I think you're in a very humble place, you're in a low place, and you tend to have a um, heightened view of God's, um, or just an, an awareness of God, but yeah. Well, we're here for a season. Yeah. It's such a short season. And I guess my example is Mm. Labor and delivery. I put my focus on the baby that is coming, not 
the labor pain. And I know that I have to go through this pain to have that baby. But if my focus is at that moment of that hard contraction, yeah. you're miserable. You're yeah. screaming and miserable. But if you say, no, 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 I'm going to say my focus is on the baby and then later on that all has to pass yeah. to have that. Likewise, we're here on earth and we say, well, my focus isn't here. I'm here for a season. I'm like, poof, and I'm going to be gone. Yeah. But if my focus is, oh, I'm going to be in heaven with the Lord, whatever happens here, it just has to happen. Yeah. And yeah. my focus is on the Lord. Not wanting to make this Yep, you see those principles in Scripture. Um, Colossians 3, the beginning of Colossians 3. Uh, set your mind on the things above. Um, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Um, and then that leads into these put-off, put-ons. So put your mind on the things above. Therefore, this is what that looks like. This is how you live. Yeah, amen. Yep, we got two words. Michelle and then Levi. Um, so I love... Um Sorry, my voice is really bad. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> um, I love Psalm 103. Um, it's wonderful. It's all about God's benefits to us. Yeah. And especially verses 13 and 14 as applying to suffering. It says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Yeah. So whenever we're going through suffering, it's really important to remember that God is always showing compassion to us. And that he always knows just what we're made of. Yeah. And he amen. knows how much we can handle. Amen. And he knows how much grace he needs to send and, and in what ways. Yeah. So those are really wonderful verses to yeah. meditate on. Amen. Forget not all his benefits. Yep. Leroy? Uh, I was just going to say, I think it's important to do exactly what we're doing here, which is to talk about suffering before you're necessarily in yeah. Because yeah, you're already great. a step behind you haven't looked at God, who he is, and his attributes before you're in the situation. Because if you're in, you know, not focusing on good theology, and then you're all of a sudden in a situation, yeah. it's going to be harder than if you had a correct understanding before you got in it. Yeah. So yep. that would be an encouragement, obviously, to not be one-sided on your biblical understanding of God, or yes. how you search the scriptures, but yeah. have a well-rounded that should be your desire to have a well-rounded understanding of Scripture and God so that when you're placed in a situation, you're not having to be shown that concept for the first time. Yep. Well, let me show you for the first time that God is good in yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you knew that. You yeah. understood that before it came. So this. that when it comes, you know, you've been preparing your mind and your heart and your soul for what you knew would be coming. Yeah, you've been storing it up, right? And then you have a sort of bank to draw from scripture, principles from scripture to draw from, to apply. And that is, you make a good point. Uh, theology is important. It does matter, not just for, it's not just for ivory tower theologians, but God's word is given. Theology is just the study of, of God. His word is given so uh, we're able to, one, glorify God rightly, and it connects to suffering. When you're in suffering, um, having a deep, firm uh, understanding of God, not that we can fully understand God, but understand what he's revealed of himself in his word, it matters then. <laughs> People may say, well, you know, you're very, uh, you're always talking about doctrine and, you know, theology and all these different things. Why don't you just be more practical? You know, people need practicality. There is nothing more practical under the sun <laughs> than the study and the knowledge of God. That is the 
uh, root, the foundation of our very existence is God. And so it connects to everything. So you are being most practical when you're thinking in theological terms, right? We can't step outside of that bubble. It doesn't, that, that, that's not a category outside of theology and life. Have you had a thought? Right. So let's go, uh, Mark, and then we'll, <laughs> Gene, and then we'll go to the next question. Go ahead. I think it's really great to um, yeah, reinforcement the scripture before things happen. Uh, right. I always told us, um, if you apply those things, and when, when those things happen, it's really when, the, as they say, the rubber hits the road. Yeah. It's kind of hard to change a bad tire when you're still driving on the road. Yeah. Kind of scenario. So, yep. Yeah, and I think that stirs Thanksgiving as well, Thanksgiving right? Going yeah. Thanksgiving. Yep. And you reinforce that, of course, with God's sovereignty. Yeah. It's just trusting that, like, 
it might be different. Maybe you're being chastised, or maybe the Lord is developing like a certain character to get you to be more like Christ. Right. Maybe it's to be an example and a light to those around you. There might be a different purpose in your suffering, but trusting that there is a purpose in your suffering, and then like accepting that with a, you know whole heart, like Lord, I will I'll take this on for you to be what you need me to be, or yeah. do your will through this. So, yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's Psalm one. Right. Blessed is the man who walks not in the uh, my kids know this and I don't who walks not in the way of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates both day and night. The word there um, for what that blessed or happy man is doing in Psalm one is uh, to mutter. It says he meditates on his word day and night. It's to mutter, to talk to oneself. Right, so you're you're doing what you ought to be doing. You're talking to yourself about the law of the Lord. Um, another um, chapter to keep in mind: Hebrews 12 talks about the discipline of the Lord, which is uh, He does as a loving father. Uh, he points to earthly fathers and say they do it wrong, but I do it always right, perfectly. Um, one more verse um, I wanted to point out: First Peter chapter two. Verses 18 through 24, uh, that section ends by saying, uh, Christ entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he was cursed, he didn't curse in return, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. Okay, so that's, that's Jim, the scenario with Jim. Hopefully, some of these things we've talked about, um, you'll be able to apply because believe it or not, all Christians are counselors, right? As soon as we walk out there and we're in the foyer and we're having a conversation with people and a brother or sister comes up and says, yeah, it's been a really, really difficult week. You are right there. You're, you're about to start counseling them in some way. <laughs> um, so all of us, all Christians are engaged in counseling. After this class, you'll get into conversations. Maybe you'll just share that your week has been blessed and great and good. And that's, thank the Lord for that. Um, but often we share that we've had a difficult week and it's been hard and we actually look to, we share those things looking to one another for that counsel. And so you are engaged in counseling, so have scripture underneath your counseling to be able to encourage one another, okay? All right, so I have to move on to newer uh, material here, but um, as we uh, move throughout the rest of the class, we wanna think about uh, persecution, so suffering for the gospel. And as we think through this, we want to ask the question first, what is persecution? How do we define persecution? And then we want to think about what it looks like for the Christian to be engaged in persecution and how the Christian can um, continue to live a life worthy of the gospel, Ephesians 4, in the midst of persecution. Now, usually when we think about persecution, we think that that type of suffering, persecution specifically, is only for Christians who are sort of... Um, I don't know, like really radical for the Lord, only for those who went on a missions trip across seas somewhere and they endured persecution, or only for you know, Christians like the Apostle Paul or whatnot. And so we have this idea of persecution as only for <clears throat> extreme Christianity, right? But that's not how you see persecution talked about in Scripture. You see that it's actually for every Christian. Um, in every walk of life, every stage of life. It may look different in different seasons, but every Christian is engaged um, 
for the most part, in some type of persecution. And we'll talk about what, what I mean by that. Uh, so first, we want to try and define persecution. What is persecution? I had a PowerPoint, but I forgot my iPad at home. So we'll just <laughs> look it up, or um, I'll just read it, and you can just listen. <clears throat> so what is persecution? Matthew 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, these are the important words, on my account. Right? Matthew 5.11. They utter things, evil things about you, they talk about you, they persecute you, but you're enduring these things, Christ says, on my account, for my account. In other words, because you're following Christ. The, the persecution that we're talking about is persecution that comes because of our connection to Jesus. So, what does it look like? Uh, John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We see from this verse that persecution can include hatred. We're in the world, we're taken out of the world, the world starts to hate us. <clears throat> First Peter 4, verses 3 through 4. First Peter 4, 3 through 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to these, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Persecution can also include being mocked or slandered is what we see from that text. They malign you, <clears throat> right? And I think you actually have these in your handout as well, these verses I'm referring to. Luke 21, 12 says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisoners, and you will be brought before kings and governors for, again, my name's sake. You see persecution and you see for my name's sake. Persecution can include being betrayed and delivered over to officials or governing authorities. Acts 22.4, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Persecution can include being killed. Okay, one last verse, First uh, Peter two nineteen to twenty one. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His footsteps. So as we look through these scriptures, we can define Christian persecution this way. Opposition or harassment that comes because we are Christians. And again, this type of opposition or harassment can include things like being hated, mocked, slandered, betrayed, or even killed. Sometimes we are being harassed and mocked or reviled because we are being terrible <laughs> to people. <laughs> Right, our, We're not being self-controlled with our tongue. We're not watching what we say. Um, we're gossiping. We're slandering. Um, we're acting sinfully, and we're mocked and reviled. 
That's not what this is talking about. As we model Christ and come up against opposition, that's the category that the Bible puts around persecution, right? If you're being rude and you're being persecuted, don't call it persecution. You just, you just need to repent and not be rude. Okay. <clears throat> so, persecution can look like being mocked, slandered, betrayed, killed. But when we talk about persecution, as we'll talk about it, here we're talking about a specific type of persecution. One reason Christian persecution is unique is because um, it's a choice, right? We want to follow Christ. We know there's opposition, and we say, come what may, we want to follow the Lord. And as a result of that, there's persecution. There's mocking, there's slandering, there's betraying. Now, a loss of promotion because of refusal to lie to a customer, like a boss asks, can be persecution. Uh, family disowns you for becoming a Christian <clears throat> can be persecution. And we may not see that often in our context, but we have many brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are disowned and ostracized, literally uh, put out of the home and by the community ostracized for their faith in Christ. Our peers mock you or mark your decision to follow Christ because they think that you're being intellectually weak. You're just sort of uh, getting ready to partake of the opiate of the masses, as you'll hear people use that term. Um, they think that you're just sort of copping out. Life is hard, and so you ran to some faith. Um, but it's, again, it, it's a choice. You, we, we're, we're not naive of suffering, but we do use our minds and our affections, right, because they're not separated, um, as we do endure persecution, and we endure it for the sake of Christ. Okay, <clears throat> why is it important to preserve, to persevere under persecution? Because of God's purposes in persecution. That's, that's the answer. Now let's take a quick look at a few purposes for persecution. I'm just going to run through a few verses. I think these are on your handout, and if not, you can just write them down. So a few purposes for persecution, which we see from Scripture. <clears throat> One, to grow us in holiness. Psalm 119.67. Two, to build perseverance. Romans 5.3. Three. three, to grow us in maturity. James 1, 2 to 4. Four, to teach us his word. Psalm 119.71. <clears throat> Five, to help us encourage others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. And then six, to wean us off of self-reliance, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9. Holiness, perseverance, maturity, to teach us the word, to encourage others, and to wean us off of self-reliance. Now, all of these uh, purposes are important, but we're going to look at uh, just a couple of them more specifically. <clears throat> First, we want to think about the fact that it's important to persevere under persecution because it is a normal part of being a Christian, not just for radical Christians. So 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Who will be per persecuted from that verse? All who desire to live a godly life, everyone, right? And why? Because following Christ is countercultural. 
when Jesus came on the scene, it was like the light was turned on and after a long period of darkness, like someone coming in in the morning when I get my kids up for church on Sunday morning, I usually, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't, but I usually come in and just I turn the light on. I say, all right, I open the blinds, let all the light shine in. It's the Lord's Day. <laughs> Going to worship. <laughs> maybe I should be more gentle. But um, when Christ comes on the scene, everything changes, right? Uh, Galatians 5.11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. The gospel itself is offensive. So when we tell others the gospel, there will always be an offense. Anything that, or the gospel tells people that you can't do anything to save yourself. That is offensive to the natural man. You can't raise yourself from the dead. Actually, your good deeds are even before God filthy rags. Although your co-workers and friends may think that you're a great person, the Bible says that no one is good. No, not one. The gospel is offensive by itself. Um, it doesn't need you to help it to be offensive. <clears throat> Wasn't it Spurgeon who said, um, the word is like a lion? Was that Spurgeon? Yeah. Let it loosen it does the <laughs> damage itself. Um, the, the, the gospel itself is offensive. It doesn't need our um, rude character to be added to it. Now, I know that this class um, automatically makes you ask, I think one of the natural questions is, if I am not facing persecution right now, does it mean that I'm not living the way that I should be living? Does it mean that I'm not being a faithful Christian? If you're not being persecuted, does it mean that you're not being a faithful Christian? Well, not necessarily. Another way to ask that question can be, are you avoiding following Jesus so that you don't get persecuted? I think maybe that's a better question to ask. I think we've all been in situations where we didn't make the better decision, where we didn't choose the path of righteousness as, as Christians. I mean, um, and we did that because we feared the consequences. But that... The question I would want to ask is, does that characterize you? Are you characterized as someone who avoids um, making the right decision, doing the right thing, following Christ because of a fear of persecution? I think that's the question. And if that is the case, then you need to examine your heart. We have to examine our hearts and say, okay, well, am I ashamed of following Christ? Right? Christ says, if you're ashamed, uh, you ashamed of me before a man, I will be ashamed of you before the Father, or I will not speak of you before the Father. Um, has, he's saying something deep and important there. But uh, a better question to ask is, am I avoiding tough situations because of persecution? Um, we do see some examples in Scripture where faithful Christians were uh, in a season of peace. And it was just that, it was a, a season of peace. Paul had times where he knew plenty, um, Philippians uh, 4.12, and times where he was in need. Same verse, Philippians 4.12. He, he knew plenty, he knew need. Um, we need to have a willingness or a readiness to suffer. We need to not be surprised when it happens. Beloved, be not surprised at the fire of trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 1 Peter 4.12. Now, a readiness and a willingness to suffer doesn't look like um, 
searching out situations for persecution. Um, I would say if you if there's a an a way an option, and I think you see this in scripture, uh, Hebrew says, "Be at peace with all men, so much as it depends on you." Um, if there is a peaceable way to live with a family member, um, or to maintain a friendship, or to do what a boss is asking you to do that doesn't cause you to sin against God or your conscience, then do it. Be at peace. Be a mature, level-headed Christian. Um, but when we get into those situations where it's sin or follow Christ, where it's righteous or unrighteous, it's not a question. We follow Christ at whatever cost it is to us personally. Okay? So we have a willingness and a readiness to suffer. That doesn't mean we are running to the guillotine, but it does mean that um, when those situations come to us, we are steadfast um, and trusting ourselves to the Lord. Okay. Um, second uh, part here we want to look at it's important to persevere because it glorifies God <clears throat> a few more verses Colossians 1 24 now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh I am willing or sorry I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church <clears throat> so what does it mean when Paul says that I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions well it doesn't mean that he's adding to the atonement um, as if the work of Christ was lacking in some way. Christ suffered this much, but there's still this much left, and Paul is suffering that to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's not what it means. John 19 30 tells us, Jesus says, It is finished, it is, it is done. Hebrews 10 14, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. <clears throat> So what does Paul mean? What is lacking in the affliction of Christ is not that uh, they are lacking in worth as though they couldn't sufficiently cover the sins of all who believe. F.F. Bruce says that what's meant is that Christ continues to suffer in his members and least of all, or not least of all, in Paul himself. We see this when Christ says in Acts 9, 4, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Up to that moment, Paul had been persecuting Christ through persecuting his followers. To suffer for the sake of Christ's name and to suffer on behalf of his body, which is his church, are two ways of saying the same thing. As Christ himself suffers in his members, the suffering that they endure can be regarded as filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. All right, so punishing, beating, uh, Christ's suffering people um, is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It, it's not a, a reference to the atonement. It's a reference to persecution. <clears throat> now, question here. In light of persecution, um, how can I be faithful in that season of, of persecution? Or how, how do I respond? How, um, how does this suffering challenge my personal view of God? What am I tempted to trust in other than God? How can I fight for faith? How can I conduct myself in a way that is glorifying to God in difficult times? Right, the questions we just thought about with Jim, we should give thought to those things in our own suffering and persecution. How do I fight for faith? How do I store up scripture in my heart so that I don't sin against God? 
How do I come against a, come alongside a brother and sister to encourage them to fight for faith, to hold to God's promises? <clears throat> right? How do we make sure we have the spare before the tire bursts and we're in persecution? Right? So a few other verses here I wanna I wanna share. I apologize for going through this a little quickly, but I wanna get these verses either written down or you know into us so that we can have these things in play when we um, interact with one another and think about persecution. So rejoice knowing that your reward is great in heaven is a way to fight in persecution. John 13, three to four says, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments and took a towel tied it around his waist now you notice in john 13 here three things jesus knew one that the father had put all things under his power two where he came from three where he was going and then verse four in john 13 says um says so And it goes on to say, okay, he got down and served. One reason he was able to serve his disciples like this, even to the cross, was because he knew rested in this truth. And it's the same truth for us. What we've been given to inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5, a kingdom, Luke 12. If you've been given this, why would we try to make a name for ourselves? Why would we hide from persecution our identity is found in Christ and we're actually seated with him in heavenly places. So one of the things that we can give thought to is where we are going. Uh, We are to inherit the earth, the meek. We are going to our heavenly home, which is not here. I don't remember who said it earlier. I think it was our sister here that we are here temporarily. We are going, we're passing through, going to somewhere better. Um, Keeping in mind Matthew 5, 5, an encouragement and suffering. What are some other scriptures so that I'm not just talking and talking and talking, which I feel like I haven't for a while. What are some other verses that come to mind for you um, that can be an encouragement in persecution or for a brother and sister that you've encouraged in the past? <clears throat> I'm going to give myself a break and stop talking and just let y'all talk for the rest of the class. Uh, the Go verse, for it. The verse that you just mentioned, well, one thing you can remember is that we, you know, all the New Testament was written in the context of persecution, you know, because hmm. it wasn't until the year 300 or something, 330, that Christians began to, you know, Christianity was accepted and became a, a state religion in Rome. That's when the persecution stopped. So everything we read about in the New Testament, you know, it was like dire persecution. Yeah. So, so these people, and it was expected, you were a Christian, you were persecuted. Now, you know, in this country, we have had the blessing for many, many years, you know, decades that, you know, we don't suffer persecution because everybody was a Christian, right? Mm. And now things are changing. Uh, things are probably going to change. Yeah. And uh, actually, but so, so in that context, you know, in um, there's a verse that you mentioned, something that encouraged me is, James 1 2 it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for, for, uh, 
for you know that the testing of your faith produces a steadfastness and let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. So we're going to have uh, trials and those trials are the persecution. Right. So, and, but the, the apostle or James make, uh, tells us that we need to be joyful. Yeah. yeah. When the persecution, when the trials come. Right. So that's an encouraging verse yeah. for me. Amen. That uh, God put in, uh, you know, in the Bible. Yeah. Yep. That's an excellent verse to go to and to, to think through because we have that example uh, in Christ. Go ahead, Lawrence. Colossians 3, one, like the one before, that talks about uh, if any of about that passage specifically in this context is that after he says that for the next 10 12 verses he's saying stop doing this therefore stop doing this and start doing that first he goes through the put-offs greed malice slander all these other things stop doing those things put on this gentleness kindness patience all these other things so he starts with look up or remember whose you are, remember where you're headed, remember who you're seated with, therefore, stop doing that. <laughs> right? He doesn't start with stop doing that, and then he says look up, but he starts with put your eyes to the heavens, and therefore live in light of who you are, in light of your actual identity as seated with Christ in heavenly places. Yeah. He also gives his mind on a different person. He gives us this, putting off the sinful life. Yeah. Right. But also gives us that reassurance that this will happen. Yep. If you believe yeah. because Amen. of what Christ and who you are in Christ. So there's a yeah, not that you're this, not we realize this so you stop doing that. But also rest assured that within that battle as you it's not an endless battle, but yeah. this will happen Amen. because of the work that you yep. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. Yep. Any other more? Am I allowed to go for two passages? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, psalm 62, the whole psalm, but in particular, verse 1, 5, and 8. For God alone, my soul waits in silence for my salvation. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence for my hope hmm. from Him. Yeah. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Yeah. Two really good passages. I referenced Hebrews 12 earlier too. That's a, a great passage to go through to think through suffering as 
uh, coming from a sovereign and loving Father. Any other verses come to mind? Uh, Psalm 139. The whole psalm. Yeah. Understanding that you know God is with you and He's going to be with you, and no matter where you're going through, you can't get away from it. Just helps you uh, understand that hey, look, while I'm going through this time of trouble, God's right there. Yeah. Amen. Where can I go from the spirit? And then he just lists the little stuff. What is Psalm 139, the whole thing? No. What is it? I wouldn't do that to you again. <laughs> no, but yeah, Psalm 139 is good. Um, yeah, I'm just remembering what's here. But you said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see um, if there be any grievous way in me. You think about that. It takes a very humble person to say, God, search me and know me. Mm. Like we know, well, we don't know ourselves like we should, but we know our uh, sins, let's say in the past week. We, we know what we thought, what we felt, what we did. And we're telling God, you who see my, who you see me more clearly than I see myself, search me and know me. And then being okay with, with what God revealed is down there is the other hard part. But um, yeah, amen, that's a, that's a great song to go through. Any others before we close out? You see, I think it's Hebrews uh, talks about angels as ministering spirits sent out for the service of those who are to inherit eternal life. So there are angels. That's another reality that we often forget that um, we have the Lord as sending these uh, servants of his word to serve those who are called by his name. And that's an encouragement, too, and a comfort. And it should be even. Uh, Jesus in uh, Gethsemane, he was uh, ministered to, uh, served by these angelic beings. So, amen. I think that's a category that we often forget or just neglect because of for whatever reasons. But, yeah, that's, that's good. So thank you all for the verses you've shared. 
um, continue to try and get these verses up under you. I mean, y'all sound like y'all are already well-versed in the Bible and thinking through suffering, which I really appreciate. It's, it's encouraging. But um, keep these things in mind as we encourage one another, um, as we even close out this year, um, just having these things in mind as we fellowship. As the Bible says, having a ready word on our lips with which to encourage our brothers, right? Uh, work to, to that end. And uh, we'll pray that the Lord causes his word to uh, continue to shape, conform us, and mold us more to the image of Christ. And uh, may we walk worthy of the gospel in light of that. Okay? So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the reality that uh, you are a God who is both good and sovereign, um, almighty, all-powerful, and yet you are love. Um, you are good. You are worthy of praise. Um, you are most excellent, most wise, most pure. Uh, there is no God besides you. I pray that you would help us to entrust ourselves to you, Lord, in the midst of persecution and suffering. Guard us from the evil one and his devices. Keep us from seeking uh, pleasure in other areas, being tempted uh, to go through the door, the escape, as we are in seasons of suffering. But help us to find our supreme pleasure in you, uh, for at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At your right hand is seated Christ, who is on the throne. So, Lord, um, uphold us by the power of your spirit. Lead us by your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And help us to uh, continue to live as um, uh, grounded, uh, mature, uh, well-reasoned, um, slow to speak, quick to listen, um, not quick-tempered um, Christians who are uh, striving to honor you, uh, whether we eat or drink, all for your glory. Uh, Lord, bless us now as we go into the sanctuary to worship together, to attend to the uh, means of grace, uh, these means of divine grace for our strength and encouragement. Bless us as uh, we hear the preached word, take the Lord's Supper, sing, pray together, um, eat together in the Lord's Supper, and uh, may you be glorified um, in our worship uh, for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen.